you'll turn to Galatians 2. I want to I just really try to talk about, as silly as it sounds, one word today. In Galatians 2, verse 15, and especially verse 16, we come across a, a word, and it's imperative that we as believers understand this word well. Paul writes in Galatians 2, verse 15, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Verse 16, which really is the key verse. There was going to be a key verse to this entire book. It would really be this verse right here, verse 16. And it's this singular verse that I want to pause today and spend some time on. He says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified, and that's the word, justified, by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. If I ask you today to define justification, I wonder if you could. I wonder if you could explain what that word means, to justify. Biblically, what that word, what is it pointing to, to justify? I, really moving into to, to Passion Week and and a week where Jesus Christ, we're commemorating the fact that He's headed to the cross. He knows He's headed to the cross. He's always known He's headed to the cross. Heading into this Sunday where we will worship the, the resurrection of our King, of our, of our Savior. I, I want to spend a, a, a Sunday and, and try to explain as best as I can the doctrine of justification. The doctrine of justification. It, it, it really, this one truth, this one theology, if, if we, we've got to get this right. We, we've got to understand this. Again, key verse in, in Galatians is understanding that a man is not justified by works of the law. He's justified by believing in Jesus Christ. But what does that mean? For the, for the rest of the book, we're going to pick apart this doctrine. For the rest of the study of Galatians, we're going to go back to this doctrine of justification. For the rest of the book, Paul explains, whether it's chapter 3, and he talks about, have you been you being saved by grace, you're now being perfected through the law? He says, by no means. Whether it's chapter 4, and he talks about sonship in Christ, and he compares where Abraham goes and has a relationship with Hagar and produces Ishmael or or whether he by faith trusts God to provide a child through Sarah. Is it going to be by works or is it going to be by faith? How is a person justified? How do they gain right standing before God? Really, this doctrine is, is there is hardly anything more important for us to understand than this doctrine of justification. Because it answers the most important question that will ever be posed ever, ever. The most important question. You say, well, that's a big statement. It's true. The most important question, the biggest issue any of us, the biggest question any of us are going to have to answer is this. How can a holy God accept a sinner into heaven? How can I, a sinner, be made right before a holy God? That's the most important question in the entire world. How can we sinners be made right before God? 
There's going to come a day for every single one of us. And, 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 and many of you know Mary Beth Poole and Ed Poole, who attends there, her, her mother, a believer, went home to be with the Lord um, late Friday night, I believe it was. She, she has realized the, the realization that all of us are going to realize at one point in time or another in our lives is this. The things that we think matter today don't really matter. What we think matters today oftentimes do not really matter. What matters is this. How can a person be made right, a sinner be made right before a holy God? The most important truth that any of us will ever need to know. The whole gospel is built upon, upon this truth. How does a holy God remain holy and allow sinners into heaven? How does He deal with sin? And the reality of what we'll see in Galatians is this, and you see it on your handout, that a person is not justified by anything that they do, but rather through the work of another, specifically Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. That, that's justification. Justification is this, and you see this on your handout. It is the insertion of Jesus' death in between God and His judgment of you and me as sinners. It is literally God inserting His own Son, the death of His own Son, in the place where you and I, sinners, deserved death. When I believe upon Jesus Christ, if you have believed upon Jesus Christ, if you have admitted your sin, if you have repented of your sin, if you have, if you have called upon the Lord Jesus Christ, He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you've believed that, literally, God no longer sees me in my sin. He sees me in Jesus Christ. When He looks at me, He sees His Son. He doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see judgment. He sees Christ. He sees His sacrifice, a satisfactory sacrifice. And all because that, that is justification. Ju justification, and you'll see it there on your handout, is the declared purpose of God to regard and to treat sinners who believe in Jesus Christ as if they had not sinned not on the merits of your own, but on the merits of the Savior, Jesus Christ. It is literally God treating you and me, believers in Jesus Christ, sinners treating us as if we had not sinned. How does that happen? How does that rightly happen and not, not impugn His holiness? How does God save a sinner and remain perfectly righteous, just? How does He remain true to Romans 6.23 that says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God in Christ is, is Christ Jesus. How, how does God justify a sinner? How does He pardon sin and yet remain righteous? How does He deal with sin rightly? How does He allow a sinner to come into His presence? That's justification. It's more than just a pardon. It's, it's more than just saying, you know what, I'm going to act as if that didn't happen, because it did happen. I mean, imagine if, 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 if I killed your loved one and the judge said, you know what, Chris has been more or less a pretty good guy. We're just going to act as if that didn't happen. That's not forgiveness. That's not justification. You, you would argue that that's not right. 
Justification is, is, is dealing with sin in such a way that those sins could be blotted out, literally forgiven, dealt with rightly. It, it is a law issue. It is, it is in respects to the law. It, is, it is, has everything to do with how God deals with us. It literally is God enabling God to treat you and me as a forgiven sinner as if we had not sinned. And the basis of that is Jesus Christ. It's His merit. It's not my own. It's His work, not my own. Where my sin and where your sin demanded death, God inserted Jesus Christ in our place. I heard a story while I was up in, we were up in North Georgia, and uh, uh, I was listening to the, to the radio, and there was a story of a, of a class of, of children, and they had allowed that class to make their own rules. And to live by them. A true story. This is a true story. And the class had said, hey, for this you get this, for this you get this, for this you get this. And one of those laws, one of those rules was stealing. And if you stole in the class, and this was obviously an old story, you got ten lashes. That would not fly today. There were, there were two children in that class and... and, and they came from a background that was rough, and, and the, the class knew that. And one day, the little boy stole another kid's lunch, and he and his sister split it, and he got caught. And the, the, the teacher said, okay, you determine the rules. The rule is this, ten lashes. Ten lashes. Everyone in the class knew why that little boy had stolen that lunch, that that would probably be the only lunch that they would eat that day. They, they knew, but yet he had broke the law. Right or wrong, he broke the law. And so the teacher called him up and said, you know, the, the rule says you know that, 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 that you get ten lashes for stealing. And about that time as the kid was walking up, they said the biggest kid in the class, the bully, True story. This kid stood up and said, You know what, teacher? The law says, If you steal, you get ten lashes. But you know what the law doesn't say? The law doesn't say who gets them. So that guy, that big kid walked up, literally grabbed grabbed the kid in his stomach, bent over, and let the teacher whip him ten times for the other kid's theft. You know, as I was listening to that, knowing that today I would preach about justification, that's justification. Was there a crime committed? There absolutely was. Did the teacher follow through on the, what the law required of that crime? Absolutely he did. Could the teacher look at that child and, and rightly send him back to his seat knowing that the punishment was dealt out rightly? Absolutely. That kid could be forgiven. Why? Because the penalty was met. The law required ten lashes. And guess what? It didn't require who would take those ten lashes. God in His mercy put His Son on a cross because sin demanded death. And God said, I'll put my son on a cross and he'll die the death for you if you will simply believe upon him. If you will repent of your sinfulness and believe upon him, you can be saved. 
And God could rightly forgive a sinner. Why? Because the punishment was met on His Son. Listen to me, in, in Romans 3, Paul describes this very clearly. I'm going to read a, a big chunk of Scripture, and, and we're probably not going to get to all these notes. We'll, we'll, I'll, we'll, get, we'll deal with it. He says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Verse 21, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as a propitiation. That word propitiation means payment. Satisfactory payment in the blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul goes on to write in verse 27, Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works. But no, but by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You go down to chapter 4 and Paul is saying the same thing. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We'll go on in Galatians chapter 3 and, and Paul talks about that, that Abraham was justified 430 30 years before the law ever came into existence. In Romans 5, verses 1 through 11, Paul explains the same thing. Therefore, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to explain what that means. I, I just want to take quickly today, I want to give us four aspects, four truths of justification. Because if we could get this, if we could get this in our minds, if we would understand this, but if we would live it out. And they all come from verse 15 and 16 of Galatians 3. That a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So what is justification? What, what is the fruit of justification? If I can, I, I want to hit on that quickly today. The first thing you see on your handout there is, the guilty sinner is declared righteous by God on the basis of Christ's death at the instant they believe. You are declared Righteous. The word there in Romans 4 regarding Abraham, the word here, it says it was credited to his count. It's given, declared. I think if you ask most people, they, they, they had this idea that when it comes time for judgment, that God, who they conceive as a, as a nice God, who they have pretty much developed their own idea of God, that that. He's going to be nice, that, that as long as he will not be harsh to them, that as long as they've been sincere, as long as they've, they've tried hard, as long as they've been as good as they can, that, that, that God will accept them. What they're saying is that God will come down to, 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 their, to their level. See, and that's the challenge. God, righteous, holy, perfect, he, he can't balk from that. 
He's absolutely righteous. That, that is revealed time and time again through Scripture. And at the same time, our tendency is not only to lower God to our standards, but to raise us up way beyond where we really are, that we're really not as bad as we truly are, that we're basically good folk. And so you have a, a pretty good God accepting a, a pretty good person. The problem is the Bible reveals a God that is absolutely holy and person who is absolutely unrighteous sinner. The, the gulf couldn't be bigger. The Bible reveals a God who is perfectly holy and cannot allow sin into His presence. And so in order for that to happen, the penalty for sin has to be paid. It's not just, God never just brushes aside sin. He doesn't just do like we do and just sweep it under the rug and, and act like it didn't happen. No, He deals with it. He deals with it. God never just says, you know what, don't, don't worry about your sin. It's not a big deal. Your sin is a big deal. My sin is a big deal. The Bible says it separates us from a holy God. The Bible says it brings about death. Why do you and I die? Because we're sinners. The Bible goes on to say, even in James 2.10, that says, if you keep every single part of the law, but stumble at even one point, you know what it says? It says you're guilty of breaking the whole law. That's why in Matthew, Jesus says, it's not just about the physical act of murder. It's about sin is being angry with your brother. He says it's not just about the physical act of adultery. Sin is even lusting after another person, even in your own heart. He goes on to say, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Look, if you're going to keep the law, if you're going to try to earn your own righteousness, you better be perfect. There's not a person in here that would, that would be so brave to say that they were perfect. Every single person in here would admit they've fallen short, that they've sinned. Therefore, we have got a huge problem. How can a holy God maintain His purity and yet be reconciled to a people admittedly that are sinners, that have fallen short, that are unrighteous? And that's what Paul argues, not only in Romans, but that's what Paul is arguing in Galatians, explaining how this transaction takes place. How can a holy God maintain His holiness and justify a sinner, allow a sinner into His presence? And Paul is going to use Abraham as his prime example that, listen, this is the truth, that no one gains a right standing with God through good works. No one. The, the only way to be made right with God is to trust in His provision, in God's provision for sin in Christ. Totally on the merits of Christ. It's all Christ. It's not Christ plus a little Chris. It's not Christ plus a little over there. No, it's Christ. Literally the word justify, listen to the, the Greek word means this, to pronounce, to accept, or to treat as just. On the one hand, to not penalize, to not hold you liable, and yet on the other, to, to give you all the privileges that would have come had you not sinned. Literally to justify. When God justifies, he, treats, he, he rightly treats you as if you had not sinned and yet treats you at the same time as if you had been perfect. He doesn't hold you, he doesn't hold you liable for the penalty. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid the penalty and then he treats you as if you had never sinned. 
That's justification. It, it literally is a judicial act. It, it, it literally declares the verdict of, of not guilty, acquitted of all charge. That's why in Romans 8, Paul says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus Christ was condemned for you. God's not going to condemn His Son for your sin, and then, oh, by the way, you're going to be condemned for your sin as well. If that's the case, why condemn your Son? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus took the condemnation. Just like the big boy who wrapped his arms around the little boy who had committed the crime and took the lashes, you're not going to punish him and the little kid. The punishment has been meted out. God can be perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, and allowing sinners into heaven. Why? Because His word was kept true. The wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ paid the wage. He took the condemnation. And literally, justification settles the legal status of a justified person. It is a legal status. You are no longer liable for the penalty of your sin. You're not liable. The debt is paid. You are no longer liable for that debt. It's forgiven. And, and here's the difference. It doesn't make righteous. It declares righteous. We're not perfect. It is a legal term. Positively, you see it on your handout. Positively, the sinner is declared or reckoned as righteous. That is, that's Romans 4.3. It's 4.5. He decredited to his account. He literally bestowed the title upon you. That's the positive. The negative is this. Your sins are totally forgiven. And the basis of this is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is going to explain, not only in Romans, but here in, in Galatians, is, is this. What he uses Abraham to explain how this happens. How can a sinner be justified? How can we receive justification? And here's what he says, that faith is the means of our justification. Faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ is the hand, if you will, that we, in which we receive God's provision in Christ. It's faith. It's the basis for justification. It is believing. It is admitting I'm a sinner. Admitting I deserve death. Believing that Jesus Christ died in our place. It's faith in His death, burial, and resurrection that that was in my place. That, that it was my sin that crucified Him. That belief Faith in that, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, offers us justification. The, the basis of justification is that the, the penalty of sin was paid by an acceptable substitute. Where you and I deserve to die for our sin, God substituted His Son. He substituted. Therefore, the justice of God is met, the penalty of God is met. The wrath of God is met. Where? Not on the sinner, but on the Savior. If you come to God with your sin and you say, God, I want to exchange my sin for the righteousness of Jesus Christ, God will take care of the transaction and He will declare you righteous in Christ. He will forgive you of your sin. He will declare you 
righteous. That's justification. It is a legal exchange. No different than if you ever, by the grace of God, not that anybody does this anymore, but if you ever make that final payment on that mortgage, you know what the bank's going to do? They're going to mail you a title. And that debt is going to say paid. You're not responsible. It's paid. It's settled. It's a legal act. That home officially belongs to you. If we believe that, that our sin debt was paid by a, by a holy God crucifying His perfect Son, Jesus Christ, God literally stamps righteous over our life. The, the debt is paid. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. It's an exchange. Literally, you're trading in your sinfulness for Jesus Christ's righteousness. And faith, faith is the means in which that transaction takes place. It's literally the channel through, that, through which that blessing flows. It's faith. But, but not, only, not, only, not only that, you see on your handout, justification by faith provides us peace with God. What happens? Peace with God. Why? Because the penalty is paid. I mean, think about that. Peace with God. You look at Romans 5. We're we are enemies, it says, multiple times. We're enemies to God. And now we're sons. How does that happen? Justification. And listen, this isn't a, a subjective of peace. This isn't not an inner feeling of peace. It is an objective fact of peace with God. Listen, if you go out into the world today, many people will feel like they're at peace with God when they're not. And, and you've seen it even in your own life. You may, you may be at odds with a person, and you ask that other, somebody else asks that other person, and they feel like everything's okay. They think it's a done deal, but they ask you, and you're still stewing. You're still dealing with it. You're still mad. You go out into the world. That's the way most people think. Why? Because they've belittled their sinfulness. They've belittled, belittled God's holiness, and they think they're okay. That's not the peace this is talking about. This is true peace. This is genuine peace that God says, Look, I declare that you, sinner, that you and I are at peace. Why? Because you have believed upon Jesus Christ. Because my son's blood has washed away your sin. Why? Because we've truly been reconciled. The gulf, the issue between us that was sin, has been dealt with rightly from both ends. Not just from your end, but with God's end. And that's where most of us live. One of the two parties, like on, on our horizontal relationships, have dealt with it differently than the other. And one person thinks they have peace and the other doesn't. That's not the peace here. We're talking about true peace. L listen to Romans Five verses 6 through 11, just to see the, the, the transaction. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps a good man, someone will dare even to die. But God demonstrates His love, His love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Do you, see, do you see the transaction? Do you see the peace? We no longer receive the wrath of God due to our sin. Why? Because Jesus Christ took the wrath. 
God didn't just say, well, you know what, I, you know, I'm going to get let Chris slide. He didn't just say, you know what, I'll just forgive that debt. No, no, Jesus Christ paid the debt. The, the penalty, the wrath of God towards my sin, towards your sin, was meted out on Jesus Christ. Because of our sinfulness, we are at war, we are at enmity, we are enemies with a holy God. And that enmity has to be dealt with. And the reality is this, that, that unless you come to peace with God on His terms, you see it there in your handout, you will die and face eternal judgment. Why? Because you're a sinner. You come to God on His terms. It's not, you know, me and God got this thing worked out. No, no, no. That'd be like me saying, you know, hey, you know what, me and Security National, we have this thing worked out where if I want to pay my mortgage, I can. If I don't, you know what Security National is going to come do? If I, if I live according to that deal, they're going to come take my house. Because the deal we have worked out is that every 15th of every month, they get a check. And as long as they get that check, everything's fine. And listen to me, God has said this, the wages of sin is death. You don't work out a side deal. It's a matter of fact, if you sin and if you've broken even one part of the law, you, you're guilty of the whole thing. Sinner separated from God. And justification is the means in which God can forgive, rightly forgive a sinner for his sins and allow them to enter into heaven. I mean, you can be the greatest philanthropist, you can give millions. That won't atone for your sin. You can be the most loving person you've ever met in your life. That will not atone for your sin. You may, you may be nice off the chart, will not atone for your sin. And just what we saw in Romans 5, listen, the only kind of people that God justifies are the ungodly, you see on your handout there, who do not work to be justified. And that is so countercultural. Just the fact that Paul would say the ungodly, Christ died for the ungodly. Notice he didn't say he died for the pretty good. He died for the more or less good. No, ungodly. He, he dies for those who are sinners. He, he didn't justify, God doesn't justify pretty good people who go to church and live a decent life. He doesn't, he doesn't justify those who give money to the church and volunteer their time. He doesn't just justify Catholics or Protestants or Episcopalians or Lutherans or Baptists. No, no, he justifies the ungodly. Those who are willing to admit their depravity, their sinfulness, and repent of that. He's willing to justify. And, and justification by faith in Christ, you see it on your handout, it is the act where God declares an ungodly person to be righteous based upon that person's trusting Christ's death as the payment for their sins. It's not something we earn. It's not something we deserve. It is a gift. Totally a gift. And, and God says, you will not be justified in God's sight if you think you can earn it. If you think you deserve it. If you think you can merit on your own, you will not be justified. The only person God justifies are the ungodly. Those who will repent, admit that, they're, that they are incapable of satisfying God's holy demands. This isn't a 50-50 barter. It's not even an 80-20 barter. It's not a 90-10 barter. It's a 0-100 deal. God did all the work. We simply believe in what God has offered. That, that Jesus Christ was the payment that my sin and your sin demanded.
And listen, at the moment you do that, you see it on your handout, God credits to your account the very righteousness of Jesus Christ, His Son. And He takes your sin and separates it from you as far as the east is from the west and replaces that with righteousness. Why? Because the only people who go to heaven are people who are righteous. You and I, in and of ourselves, are not righteous. Therefore, we need to be somebody to, righteous, to be righteous for us, and that's Jesus Christ. Perfectly righteous. Perfectly righteous. And now we have peace with God. Why? Because the, 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 the problem is gone. The problem of sin is dealt with through Jesus Christ. This is Romans 8.15, that we can cry out, Abba, Father, that we have the, the spirit of adoption as sons. Why? Because the payment has been made. The reality of what Paul is dealing with here in Galatians, and really what we deal with even in our own hearts, if we're honest, is thinking that, that it's Christ plus something. That, that, we're, that we're justified maybe in the beginning by Christ, but then we've got to do something. We've got to add to it good works. Listen to me. When will your good works ever be enough? When will you ever be good enough? When would you ever give enough? When have you ever served enough? Th that's the system that most of the false religions out there are, are dealing with is works. That's a system that if you and I came up with a system... For salvation, you know, we come up with works. Why? Because that's how you and I deal with each other. Here's, here's proof of that. If I walked up to, to Alvy here, this is what happens when you sit on the second row, Alvy. If I walked up to you and just out of grace said, Alvy, here's a gift card to, to, to Malio's. Go enjoy it with a family. I promise you, your first instinct at some point would be to what? Repay me. At some point, you would want to repay me in some form or fashion. You may not give me a, a gift card to Malio's, but you would want to repay me in somehow. Works. We want to minimize the gift. But that's not grace. Grace is grace. Grace is no works. Grace is no earning it. We, we, you go back to Romans 5, 1. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not through our Lord Jesus Christ plus what we offer. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do nothing of our own merit. None of our own merit. It is through what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. We can know that we have peace with God. Why? We believe upon Jesus Christ. Not what I do. Because God was perfectly, completely, 100% forever will be satisfied with what Jesus Christ did on the cross at Calvary. His satisfaction will never wane. It's not about me being good enough. It's the fact that Jesus Christ was perfect. He was good enough. And every single one of our blessings, all that Paul talks about here in Galatians and beyond comes through the work of Christ. I mean, think about it. You see on your handout, listen, to, listen to, the, to the blessings, and we'll see these as we unpack Galatians. Not only we have peace, that first handout is peace. We have peace with God. Paul goes on to talk about that we can boast that, that in the cross. Why? Because it was for us. That, that there's grace. He'll go on to say there's grace given. There's eternal life given in justification. The next handout, there's deliverance. There's the love that all flows through Christ. 
all flows through a relationship with Christ. None of these were our own effort. All through Christ. Not only peace with God, listen to this justification. You see number three there gives us access to the riches of His grace. That's another blessing of justification. Listen to me, through our Lord Jesus Christ, you and I can come as often as we want into the presence of God. And guess what? When we go there, we will find grace for every need. I, I read a story uh, th this week while uh, uh, that, that Donald Gray Barnhouse in his Romans commentary, he shared about Abraham Lincoln. And, and listen to this. It says a story. It says a southern soldier who had been freed from a prison camp because he was too wounded to return to active duty was seeking access to the president to intercede for his brother in a prison camp because that individual was the sole supporter of his mother. But the White House guards would not let him talk to the president he had, because he had no access. One day, the president's young son, Tad Lincoln, was walking near the White House and saw the wounded veteran crying out as he sat on a bench. The boy went up and asked him what the matter was. The soldier explained that he wanted to get to see Mr. Lincoln to tell him about his brother, but the guards would not let him in. The president's son took the man by the hand, led him past the guards, who, by the way, all saluted the man now, and brought him into the presence of his father. Do you understand that that, that, that illustration is an illustration of what justification does? In and of ourselves, we have no business barging into the Heavenly Father's office. And yet... Through Jesus Christ, we have complete access anytime we want. Why? Because we have a relationship with the Son. I've told y'all before, kids come to my house all the time. Just yesterday, I'm in the garage working. Uh, our neighbor walked right by me, walked right in the kitchen door like he owned the place. I said, Abram, what are you doing? He says, Brad told me I could come in. Okay, that settles it. But listen to me, he barged right in. Why? Because the, my son had given him access. My son said he had gone home to get something. He says, when you come back, Aiden, just come on in through the garage door to be unlocked. And you know what? That's all that mattered to me. It, it, the, the moment he said, hey, Brad knows I'm coming over and Brad told me to come in, guess what? Come on in, Aiden. That's justification. The point is this, we, we had no way to come into the God, to God's holy presence, but yet the cross, what does it say? Jesus tore the veil. And now all can enter. We can now enter the Heavenly Father's chambers. Why? Because Jesus Christ clothes us with His righteousness. When God sees you and I, or if we're believers in Jesus Christ, He sees His Son. And that's all that it's all that He needs. He sees us as righteous, as declared righteous. And the, the interesting thing that we'll see in Galatians is this, that Paul pictures God's grace not as a tenuous thing, not as a passing thing. He says it is a realm in which you stand. The, the word here in, in chapter 16, it, it's, it literally have obtained. It, said it is a past action in the Greek with ongoing results. We have gained entrance, and we will have ongoing entrance. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. What, what he says here and throughout the Scriptures is this. Our sonship in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, is permanent. It's permanent. 
You think about the very fact that we have been given eternal life. What does that mean? It means it's eternal. John 10, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. They will not, they will not get out of my hand and nobody else is going to snatch them out of my hand. Why? Because it's eternal. Those who are truly saved will always be truly saved. The sonship is permanent. It's been declared upon you. I heard Tony Evans tell of a story about justification and his blessings, and he says, suppose you had a huge debt, and suppose a friend of yours found out about it and approached you about paying off that debt. That, that'd be a good thing. If he said, hey, I know you got a debt, but let me pay it off. But here's the deal. The good thing is your debt is paid, but that only gets you to ground zero. That gets you to zero in the bank account. There's still a problem. But Tony goes on to say, suppose your friend not only put enough money in your account to pay off your current debts, but suppose they put enough money in your account to pay off all future debts. That'd be a different story. See, that's justification. It didn't just get us to zero. He says, I'm going to put enough, I'm going to, I'm going to pay off not only your past sins, not only your present sins, but if you're believing in Jesus Christ, there's a, there's a payment for all your future sins. Any debt, you ever, any, any debt you ever encounter, paid. In 1 John, he says, Beloved, I write these things to you so that you will not sin, but if any of you do sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ. You know what that advocate means? Someone who goes before, literally a defense attorney. He simply appeals to his father, I paid that debt, freed. I paid that debt, forgiven. Now, that doesn't mean we sin casually. It means, he says, I write these things to you so that if any of you sin. We certainly shouldn't pursue sin. That's a whole different issue. But there's money. There's, there, righteousness has been declared upon our lives forever through Christ. Our debts, all future, past, and present are paid. Why? Because of the blood of Christ. Did not only pay off our present and past debts, but all future debts. And the challenge for us is we either come to God by trying to earn His favor and keeping the law, which only brings wrath, or you come to God through Christ, through faith in Christ. And you can have peace with God, and you can have uh, grace with God and, and, and status and sonship. But not only, not only those things, lastly, justification gives the assurance that we will share His glory. You, you read back in, in Romans 5, 2. He says, Through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of glory. It's permanent. Sharing in God's glory is our certain future. Heaven is certain for the believer. It is a certain inheritance. Why? Because it is based on the promises, the sure promises of God. You read in, in Hebrews 11.2 a phenomenal description of faith and the assurance. He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That word assurance literally means title deed. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained their approval. Abraham believed God, and it was what? It was credited to him as righteousness. The judge banged the gavel down and said once and for all, not guilty. Why? Faith in Christ. And every single one of us in here have two options. And I thought about this as I was, 
as I was driving, I obviously, if you know me, I, I can get distracted very easily. And driving for eight to ten hours at a time is it's torturous for someone like myself. And I would find myself as I was driving, and you're in beautiful country, you would start staring at something. And guess what happens, I notice, when you stare at something? You tend to go where you stare. Okay? You steer where you stare. And that's great here in Florida. That's not so good when there's about 200 feet. And I thought, as I was driving, I started thinking about that. That's applicable to you and I as we close application. My question to you is, where are you staring? You staring at grace? You staring at the cross? Hebrews 12, Paul says, Fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. You staring at grace? Are you staring at, at the law? Are you staring at yourself? Are you staring at Christ who earned everything for us? Or are you trying to take back some of that? Are you, are you putting that on yourself? See, Peter struggled with that, and we saw it two weeks ago. Going back to the law. Going back to living by the law. That's why in two weeks we're going to see in Galatians 2.20, Paul's going to say, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who was crucified for me. You know what Paul is saying? I've been you know what he's been crucified to? The law. He died to the law as any means of righteousness, of any means of gaining a standing before God. He says, I've been crucified to that. It no longer exists. My question for us is, where, where do you find your identity? Do you find your identity in what you do? Or do you find your identity in what Christ has done? Do you find your identity in, in what you can bring to the table? Or do you find your identity in what Jesus Christ does through you and what He brought to the table? Do you find your identity in your abilities? Or do you find your identity in Jesus Christ? Do you find your identity in a role, maybe? Or do you find your identity in Jesus Christ? Do you find your identity in an ability? Whatever it is. I, I, I'm begging us to look to Christ. And to always look to Christ. We don't get saved by this gospel and then move on. We're going to deal with that in chapter 3. We, we get saved by this gospel, and we live every single day by the gospel. We get saved by Jesus Christ, and we live every day as a saved person because of Jesus Christ. We get saved by the Spirit, we live by the Spirit. And I pray that we would be a people that looks to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our identity. Not, not living, trying to be good enough, not trying to measure up, not even trying to pay God back, because that in itself is an is, is impossibility. But just simply living out of the fact that we have been saved and the implication that it has on our life. Just like Paul says in Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your spiritual service of worship. Based upon the mercy of God. Live it out. Not trying to pay God back. Not trying to justify God and His justification of you. But simply because 
the Spirit living in you, that's what our lives look like. Amen?